I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right, joining me today, I have Amber Zimmerman. She is a UNM grad. She is a marathoner, amazing runner, just got Olympic trials qualifying time at Houston. And thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Glad to do it. Yeah. So obviously I want to get into Houston, but first I, I just want to know, how did you get into running? Well, I started running when I was like seven, <laughs> probably just because I was better at it than anything else in gym class. And I, you know, it was the cheapest sport that I could do. And it was the only one that my parents would really <laughs> allow me to do. <laughs> really was holding out for gymnastics, but it didn't work out. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I just would race everybody in gym and figured out that I have quite a lot of endurance and begged my mom to race for quite a long time before she actually let me race competitively. And, you know, just got stuck in it. Like, everyone else does <laughs> you, you get roped in <laughs> were you, were your parents runners at all uh, my dad was a soccer player at the air force academy but he ran my brother ran through high school um and i you know would always watch him and i think i was kind of competitive with him and my sister ran a little bit but yeah my my mom wasn't super athletic. I mean, she was like in the army, I guess. And so there was, she had some athleticism, but not a runner, but yeah, my, my dad and brother were probably the main influences. Oh, nice. Drive me down that path. <laughs> so did you travel a lot then? You talked about your parents being your mother in the military, your dad, Air Force Academy. Yeah, no, they were done with that before I was born. Okay. So, I mean, I, I did live a lot of places growing up, but primarily just because we moved a lot, not because my parents were still in the military at that time. <laughs> so, yeah, I've lived in, I don't know, five or six different states. That's, wow, that's that's a decent amount. <laughs> yeah, seen the world, not really. <laughs> seen some of the, the worst states, probably. <laughs> Uh, you, you talked about getting into running at like seven or being interested in seven and would race anybody, uh, you know, you've been doing running for a while now then, you know, if you started kind of, you know, that seven age, like, how do you keep yourself motivated? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've been through a lot of different emotions on that. I think a lot of the people I ran with when I was like, you know, a junior olympic athlete and stuff like 10 14 years old whatever um a lot of people that were really good then just burned out and i always thought i would and i think i did probably at least a handful of times but <laughs> i don't know i think i've i really find that running is just something that i need in life and that gets me through so i can't really let it go as much as i sometimes want to <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, I think that's the hard part is, you know, like you said, I mean, there are kids who get into it that young and then they just, they're working so hard and, and doing things like Junior Olympics and everything. It, it's, it is really easy to get burnt out and be like, I, I can't do this anymore. Or, you know, I've seen it with a lot of soccer players. They do it from 
a you know tiny age through high school and then they get to college like i can't do this anymore and and so i think it's it's interesting like you know you said you've had some ups and downs with it which is i think fair <laughs> yeah i think most people do i mean especially people who have run all the way up through college have probably seen their share of rock bottom a few times in the sport but yeah i don't know i mean i think i've really i started to appreciate it more as a post-collegiate runner a lot more than i did as a high school or collegiate runner i think i was a little too competitive then and i wasn't good enough for it to like matter um, <laughs> so so it's it's nice now to like not feel like i have to win a race and just actually enjoy running you know when you go into these races against pros like i'm not probably going to win most of my races, but it's nice to not have to and to just race to, you know, run a time or just to enjoy it. Well, I mean, you may not compete with them, but you're a pretty good, I guess, age grouper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm kind of whatever they call the sub elites these days, yeah. but <laughs> it's not a bad place to be. No, no. Uh, you... Obviously ran for college. I think you were at Tennessee first and then came to UNM. Yeah. When did you start thinking about running collegiately? Um, I think I always kind of had that in my mind. I was, I mean, I was a decent high school runner. I won state and stuff. So it wasn't like I was like a terrible high school runner. I just, I started out really strong as a freshman. Uh, and then, you know, I think female runners just kind of crash and burn at some point in their high school career and and that was my sophomore year <laughs> and I kind of felt like I wasn't gonna do much but then I don't know I just looked around at some places I told myself I would never go to the University of Tennessee and then somehow I ended up at the University of Tennessee <laughs> and uh yeah I mean I ran three years there before I graduated and I still had some eligibility so that's why I came out to New Mexico that's that's awesome. Why did you decide? I'm always curious kind of about those graduate transfers. You know, why did you decide to come to UNM in New Mexico? It was a real reach, honestly. I I like I said I graduated early um Tennessee and I thought that I wanted to maybe go to medical school, so I looked at other universities that had like good running teams and um programs that would like get you to medical school basically once that had a program for that so uh, I had a handful of universities that I was looking at and I talked to Joe Franklin and he's incredibly persuasive <laughs> <laughs> and you know he talks about how it's sunny 300 plus days a year in New Mexico I think he tells everybody that and <laughs> you know ropes him in but, you know, I was coming from Tennessee where it's not great weather a lot of the time. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I was like, wow, that sounds fantastic. Um, I guess I'll take it. And yeah. I just got up and left and somehow ended up there for eight years. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I can imagine the, the sunshine is quite a big selling point. Pretty mild winters comparatively to... <laughs> A lot of other places uh but did you did he talk about the elevation at all <laughs> i feel like he probably undersold that for sure <laughs> because i mean you know he talked about the benefit of the team and being able to train where they train but i didn't really realize 
I had never done a stint at altitude before, so I didn't really realize the impact of it. And my body did not adapt well. <laughs> so I got to say, I thought I was pretty fit leaving Tennessee in the first like week I was in Albuquerque. I thought I was dying. <laughs> and that was a real shock to the system. But the good news was like all of the girls who came in at the time I did came from England and they also experienced the death <laughs> that was Bear Canyon and our long runs <laughs> in the foothills. So I think, uh, you know, we all kind of went down that horrible road for, <laughs> I, for me, like two years. I think they tell you it takes like two weeks to acclimate to it. And that is absolutely not true. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that was going to be my next question is how long it took you. Because I know for some people it can definitely take a while. And some people it's a little bit, you know, easier. I grew up a little bit further north. So I actually moving to Albuquerque, I came down in elevation. So that was nice for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took me, I would say about two years to feel decent. I mean, maybe because I had asthma and stuff. But uh, I, I felt pretty bad for a very long time while I was there. And I thought, wow, I don't think anybody ever really comes out of this. But then Probably two years in, I was like, okay, I'd actually running the paces there felt like they probably did running, you know, at sea level before, right? which is nice. Cause then when you actually go to sea level, it's really great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that. I mean, I, from experience, even just that little boost you get of like all that extra oxygen coming in. <laughs> yeah. You don't get the burn quite as early at least yeah it's still gonna hurt but yeah <laughs> a little bit different uh you know we had talked a little bit before you did a little stint with uh doing some triathlons after college what what made you kind of go down that road yeah i was injured all the time in college i so i swam a lot and i biked a lot although not like on a real bike, like on a stationary <laughs> bike in the gym, which is terrible and not at all the same. Um, and so everybody's like, oh, you'd probably make a pretty good triathlete. And after college, I was kind of over running. I don't know. I just needed something different. And so I thought I'd give it a try. And I don't know. I just went in and signed up for a triathlon and bought a bike like a week before. And that was a mistake. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, you just really I like didn't have the coordination for a road bike. And, um, you know, I didn't have the pedals or the shoes or anything fancy going into it. So it was quite a shock to the system. I also hate biking. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but no, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I got uh, I think I got like first in my age group or like second overall in that triathlon. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'm not terrible at this. <laughs> and I could probably figure out how to bike. So I then signed up for, uh, I think that race like qualified me for the age group nationals or something. It was just a small race in, in New Mexico. And then I qualified for the age group. And then at the age group championships, I qualified for like the world championship thing, um, which I didn't end up going to, but, I don't know, somewhere along the line, I ended up racing in this draft legal setup, you know, where you're actually allowed to draft on the bike, which was better for me because I'm not a strong cyclist 
when you're not allowed to draft, but I'm okay. <laughs> I just draft off of people. And, uh, you know, luckily I could rely on my run strength to pull me through. And so I was able to do a race down in Claremont, Florida and qualify for my elite card down there. So, you know, I, then I ended up racing as an elite for a couple of years going through, they had this like collegiate recruitment program at the Olympic training center and picked up previous collegiate runners and swimmers and tried to like drive them down the triathlon path. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I raced for this major league tri group, which was fun. It's like super sprint triathlon where it's a team based, like everybody does their own. There's two men and two women on a team and everybody does their own, like, mini triathlon um, tags off to the next person they just added it to the olympics it's fun but it's terrifying and uh, (laughs) i am like also not a super strong fast swimmer i'm like a decent endurance swimmer but uh when you're racing against women who were collegiate swimmers i'm not great and uh, it was terrifying because i was like getting kicked in the face (laughs) (laughs) i think yeah i I liked triathlon because it was like exciting and something different and very, you know, those races were really fast paced and fun, but I also had so much anxiety from them because I was not a super strong fast swimmer. I wasn't a great cyclist if I got dropped (laughs) from the pack and I was really only a good runner. (laughs) So I decided, you know what, if I'm really only a good runner, maybe I should just be a runner. And I gave up on my triathlon dream and went back to running. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, I mean, it it sounds a little hectic and crazy, but at the same time, like the way you're talking about it, I mean, it, it it sounds like it was one of those things that reignited your love for running and kind of kept it, you know, fresh for you, you know, after injuries and everything, which is great. Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely bridged the gap there. I think if I would have tried to run, uh, like, you know, the distances I'm running now right out of college, it wouldn't have worked out. I I probably would have just burnt out like most other people do and gave up on it. So yeah. it, it definitely made me appreciate running a lot more and realize, like, I am a runner. I've always been a runner and I'm always going to be a runner. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm done with the the silliness of trying to become some elite swimmer. My body wasn't built for that. (laughs) Uh, You talked about dealing with a lot of injuries, you know, during college and stuff. Was that, you know, mostly just to the, you know, how many miles you were putting on or you just hadn't figured out the right like system for your body or, or what was going on with that? I don't know. I feel like my body just rejected running. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was not running high mileage. I never did. I was running like 10 miles a week in college. It was embarrassingly low. Wow. Luckily, I was more of like a strong, like a strength athlete. So I could maintain fitness from just doing like high intensity stuff um, and, and run moderately well off of that. But I was never able to get over like 45 miles most weeks until I came. I mean, I was, I was literally running about 10 miles a week for the majority of my collegiate career. It was very bad. I just cross-trained a lot. <laughs> so um, That's crazy. <laughs> I, it wasn't until I came to New Mexico and with the 
just, I don't know, persuasion of Joe Franklin, again, <laughs> like was able to somehow get my mileage up to around 60 miles a week. Wow. Um, and that, that was huge for me at the time because my body had never handled anything like that. I just had stress fracture after stress fracture and hip injuries. And yeah, it was just a never ending cycle of problems. And I don't know, I think just, I was able to run on trails a lot in New Mexico. And I think that mm-hmm. definitely made a difference. Um, no, I, I ultimately ended up after college doing some trail running. And I think that's really improved my longevity. <laughs> I, I That makes sense. You know, having those softer surfaces and those, I mean, we have so many areas, you know, in the foothills or in the bosque that you can just go and hit and you can do miles and miles on nice, soft dirt. I mean, and some rocks and stuff, but... <laughs> better than the concrete pounding. (laughs) Absolutely. I I miss that very much because Philadelphia does not have trails. (laughs) I, I, that's, I was going to ask about that because you're out in in Philly now and it is uh, very urban. (laughs) It is. Yeah. I mean, I did everything that I could on trails in Albuquerque and college. I did all my tempos along the the packed dirt path instead of the bike path. Cause I was like, I'm not going to touch the road as much as possible. And yeah, it definitely helped. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, when did you decide to, you know, you talked about doing a little bit of ultra stuff. When we talked before you had done one, like 35 miler. When did that, did you do that before you did a marathon? I did. Yeah. That's not probably the way I'd recommend it. <laughs> I, yeah. When I finished the triathlon stuff, I thought maybe I'd give mountain racing a go. And so I did some of those like uphill mountain championship races and stuff like that. I did Loon Mountain. That was a ton of fun because it was like 10K just straight up a mountain. I, was like, <laughs> I can be good at this. And, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I, I started to like dip into a little longer distances, 20 K and 30 K and things. And, um, I thought, oh, I'll give an ultra a try. A couple of my friends were doing this one in Silverton, which I don't know why I decided to do my first ultra in Silverton. It's like <laughs> 13,000 feet for half the race. And yeah, I was going to say thought, it starts off pretty high already. So, yeah, I mean, the lowest point is like 9,500 feet. So, that was rough, but, uh, yeah, I, I signed up for that before I signed up to do a marathon a couple months later and it was fun. I mean, it was hard. Ultra running is just, it's nice. Cause you don't have to like really go from the gun, you know, it's a, it's a pacing game for sure. Uh, but your body certainly goes through a lot of things that you'd never experienced before. <laughs> And the shorter races. So the last three miles were just horrifying pain in my hamstrings. <laughs> but I ended up winning and setting the course record. And I was like, oh, maybe I can be an ultra runner. I've been through a lot of different <laughs> experiences, obviously. That's I mean, I think that's great though that you're that you're trying, you know, these things. Like like I said, I mean, so many people get caught up in like I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and follow this progression. Well, I'm going to get faster here and faster here. And then 
then I'll move up and do half marathons and I'll move up and do marathon, you know, like it's that steady progression, which is great. And I think it can work, you know, amazingly well for a lot of people, but I think other people need to experiment and try different things just, and I mean, the running, the training you get for an ultra, I mean, it's not like it's going to hurt you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the nice thing was that I would do the majority of my runs again on the trail. And then I would just to team it with marathon training, I would just like finish on the road. So that way I could still get the higher mileage on my legs and then some speed at the end. Yeah, uh, try to mimic the marathon feel. <laughs> what made you decide like, all right, I'm I'm going to focus back on the roads. Um, I really didn't want to, I really didn't <laughs> want to run a marathon, but my friends again, talked me into, you know, running CIM and at the time it was, it was like, they had a lot of women going for the 245 Olympic standard. And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, let me just see what I can do and go for it. And so I had no idea what a road marathon was like going into that and that was very naive. <laughs> um, I did a lot of training for it and I thought I trained well and I, I almost got it. You know, I ran at CIM and I ran within a minute of 245, but I've never experienced like going from feeling so good to feeling so bad that quickly. <laughs> and I really think until just last week, I, I couldn't get through that portion of the marathon where you just transition from like high up on a mountain to like garbage <laughs> in an instant. Oh, wow. like, I mean, I, I, that's why they call it hitting the wall, right? Like, yeah, just... it's real. It's very real. Oh, uh, what do you think it was? Um, hydration, nutrition, or, or just going out a little too fast? I think it was nutrition. I was really good early on. My stomach, I, I've trained my stomach pretty well to be able to handle quite a lot of food. And so I, you know, from mile one, I was like, I'm going to crush this. And I was eating <laughs> stuff, drinking everything. You know, I carry all my water myself. So I, I wasn't in a bad place, but I, uh, I got so cold halfway through that race because it was pretty cold that morning. And I have like really bad circulation in my hands and they got wet from grabbing water. And I couldn't open any of my gels anymore after like halfway. And so by like 20 miles, I was like, I'm good. I still feel really good. And then like 21 and a half miles, my body just shut down and I couldn't get anything open anymore. So I didn't have any calories from like probably 14 miles on. Mm. And yeah, my body really took a turn in those last, <laughs> that last 10 K and there was just no coming back at that point. <laughs> I I can only imagine. That's I, I've never done a, a, a marathon, and it's one of those things that just it excites me, and also terrifies me because of that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a really like mysterious race because you just have absolutely no idea what's going to happen to your body. Right. Right. And I mean, I've heard so many people say like training went so well and things were going good and it was going great until it until it wasn't. 
<laughs> Until it wasn't. I know. I had that fear in the back of my mind the entire time in Houston. <laughs> I was like, don't get ahead of yourself because you've been here before and it really ended poorly. <laughs> uh, did you do another marathon between CIM then and Houston now? Yeah, so that was CIM back in 2018 and 18, okay. didn't run for a very long time. Um, but then I ran Boston in this year. I ran Boston or in October of last year. And I ran terribly. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I thought, you know, I put in so much more mileage now. I'm like much wiser. It's been a couple years. <laughs> I felt like there's no way I could run slower. Than I did, and then Boston quads are a very real thing. I heard, I've heard. (laughs) From like mile six, I thought, "Wow, I've never experienced this kind of cramping this early on in a run before." Like I've done a lot of long runs, and I've never felt this bad this early. So I thought maybe it'll just fade. I ate an absurd amount of calories, (laughs) thinking that would help. And yeah, the cramping was just unlike anything I've ever experienced. So I ended up running 246 and some change. And I was like, wow, that is extremely disappointing. (laughs) I have to run faster than that. So that's why I signed up for Houston. I couldn't go out like that. (laughs) So you signed up for Houston after Boston this last year? Yeah, it was a very irrational decision (laughs) and like I thought no way I could run another marathon anytime soon I'll just get on with my life and you know one day do another one and then one of my teammates here had mentioned it and she ended up not running it (laughs) (laughs) and then my my friend Terry from New Mexico was like oh I'm gonna run Phoenix and I thought oh Like she had just run Boston. I thought if she's going to run another marathon, I can run another marathon and roped myself into it and (laughs) thought, well, I guess I'll go for it. And then they released the Olympic standard. And I thought, I guess now I have to try for it (laughs) because I don't want to run another marathon. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of training did you do going into Boston? Because everybody talks about, you know, getting those quads ready. Were you doing anything specifically for that? Or are you just like, no, this can't be that bad? (laughs) A little bit of both. I mean, I thought being like a pretty good downhill runner and a mountain runner when I was in Albuquerque would carry over kind of. Yeah. Um, But there's a very big difference between running downhills on trails and running downhill on road at that speed. And that was not apparent to me at the time. So I thought, you know, I have strong enough quads. And I tried to do downhill stuff in Philly, but there's not a lot of great opportunities for like sustained downhills around here. Uh, So I definitely did not appreciate (laughs) the actual thrashing that was going to happen. In that race, because I mean, it's really just like a straight downhill start. And, and I really did not train for that. So next time, if I ever (laughs) decide to run Boston again, I know that I need to practice with like hour long wall sits or something. (laughs) I I like how you keep on saying never again. (laughs) 
and then next time or <laughs> that's how they get you it's <laughs> somehow how running always gets you right right it is i mean it, yeah i think it's so easy to come back to it just the feeling is just amazing even when it hurts, it's just amazing. <laughs> it is, you know, and that's, I think that's the problem with a lot of those races is like, you can't just leave it with a bad experience. I think Boston is such an iconic race that, you know, you have to enjoy it. You have to go back and, and really try to tackle it. I don't want to do it anytime soon because it's yeah. still fresh in my mind. <laughs> I don't want to return not- to the scene of the crime. <laughs> You're not signing up for uh, for it this spring? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, what was the atmosphere like in Boston? Even even though you didn't have a great race, I mean, what was that atmosphere like? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, that's the only reason I finished that race. I knew I was done. Like, I told you, <laughs> six miles in, I knew it was over for me. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere near my goal time at that point. I mean, then I was just trying to run 240. And, and it didn't happen, but yeah, I, I thought halfway through, it was kind of funny. I was just like, well, this is ridiculous. How much pain <laughs> I'm in at this point, but you know, you're, you see everybody's in a lot of pain. There's people walking like everywhere in that course because they've clearly overdone it in the first half. <laughs> and I thought if I could get through those Hills at the end, I would be okay. I just couldn't really run any faster, but I could keep my pace kind of steady and the uphills were actually pretty nice and the crowd was like insane i mean it's like nothing you've ever experienced at any other race and so you know you have that at least to pull you forward and i thought as long as my body doesn't like completely shut down i can just kind of shuffle it for the rest of the race and and i'm glad i did because the crowd for the last you know 10 miles of that race is unreal. And then the finish line is just like, you know, you don't go to that race to walk off the course. Right. <laughs> as much as I wanted to. <laughs> so you said your goal was to run a 240. And then you signed up for Houston. And then the um, qualify marks come out. And it was a 237. Yeah, 237. Because yeah. you ran 236. So. Uh, that was three minutes faster than your goal time for Boston. Obviously, Boston's a tougher course. Did you think that you had it in you? Like, okay, I, I, on a flatter course, faster course, like, yeah, I can make up those three minutes. Yeah, I mean, I had to make up 10 minutes because my PR was still, (laughs) still, you know, like, almost like nine and a half minutes slower than what I ran, but... Off yeah, of your I, goal time. Yeah. <laughs> of my goal time. I mean, I did realistically believe that I could run 240 at Boston, and I had trained for that. Um, you know, I always train a little bit faster than what I like, hope I can run um, so that it doesn't feel so hard. But, I mean, I was training with the idea of running around six-minute pace, so it wasn't – I knew that they were most likely going to drop the standard to 237. I'm I had that in my head from back in 2018. I figured that was my last chance to try to get it because I thought they would drop the standard to 237 and I thought there wasn't a chance I was going to get that. So I um, 
I had in the back of my head that they were going to drop it. I figured I may as well train for around six minute pace. And, and when they did announce it, I thought, well, now I should probably train for something faster than six minute pace. <laughs> so yeah, the last like probably month and a half of my training block, I really like tried to, to up it and see if I could get that pace down and make it feel easier. And, and it started to, my workouts went really well. So I felt like I was certainly fitter than I've ever been in my life. And if I was going to get the standard, it was going to be now. That's, that's awesome. Uh, are you self-coached or do you work with a coach? Yeah, no, I coach myself. I've had historically bad luck with coaches, mostly <laughs> not for their fault, but mostly because I'm not a very coachable athlete, to be honest. <laughs> I'm extremely stubborn. I have like a terrible schedule, so I do workouts by myself like and whenever i feel like doing them um <laughs> and yeah i think i've learned over the last several years that running slow and running easy 90 percent of the time is what works for me so i don't like to have somebody to tell me when to run fast other than myself i'm like if i don't feel good on a day it's really nice to just be like well i'm just not gonna run fast today and i don't feel bad for it <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. I mean, I think that's knowing knowing your own body and what you can handle and being able to do that is is pretty amazing because a lot of people can't do that. Like, it's so hard to, you know, to put in the work to get to the level you're at on your own is, is awesome. And obviously, it's where I mean, you've been able to stay healthy, you've been able to do two marathons, you know, within six months, which is great. I mean, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, my training changed completely um, in the last couple of years after I, I had like problems where I couldn't run for very long at all or very fast because I was having these horrible headaches and stuff. And the only way I could run was slow. And so I just, you know, didn't race for a long time. And I got myself to just see how my body could handle different training. And it was a really great experiment to see you know, how much mileage I could actually put in if I just ran it slow and I had no driving factor to try to make me run fast or anything. So I ended up, you know, peaking out my mileage. My highest mileage week was like 130 miles and I never even came remotely close to that ever in my life before. <laughs> so yeah, it's fun to coach yourself because <clears throat> you can just experiment and, and not have anybody telling you that something is right or wrong. You know, you get to figure that out yourself. And I definitely figured out a lot of things that don't work. <laughs> um, well, the 130 miles, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's, uh, that's, that's a lot of time on your feet. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun, though. I mean, I've never loved running like that before and just seeing, you know, how much you can handle and those stupid virtual challenges that they had with the pandemic and everybody was like oh let's you know see how many miles you can get in a month and that's how i got roped into this field <laughs> <laughs> but i'm glad i did because i really you know i i don't think if it weren't for the pandemic shutting everything down and stopping racing i don't think i would have tried to do a lot of those things yeah i think i think there were some positive things and, and some good breaks that came out of it, you know, in, in all the tragedy and everything for, for some people that to be able to, you know, find out, like you said, what works for you or, or to find certain things. I saw 
you know, within friends and family, which was, which was great. Um, and that's awesome that you're able to take that time to, to be able to do that. Cause like you said, it's not, it's hard for, <laughs> for people to find that, that time. So that's awesome. Uh, what you, you said you were kind of experimenting. So what did you figure out really kind of works for you? Um, I think just, you know, I found that I do a lot better off of, like I said, running, you know, 80, 90% pretty easy. So the bulk of my week is, you know, eight to eight thirty pace runs. I, I don't like to run two times a day because I usually don't have time for it with work or I don't, I don't like putting my runs off until later in the day because I know I won't do them. So I just do all my mileage up front <laughs> in the morning. So yeah, I mean, it's when you're running in the cold and dark of the morning, like it's very easy to just shuffle along and run slow and <laughs> listen to podcasts. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's worked for me. I, I really enjoy just the easy stuff now that I don't think I ever let myself enjoy before. I think I was always stressed about trying to run six minute pace on my easy days, which is just really naive. And I think everybody has to figure that out for themselves. <laughs> but yeah, I think this training block, the thing I, I really started to like the most, like I said, I, I trained by myself the majority of the time. And I used to hate running long tempos by myself because it's just mind numbing <laughs> um, and really, really hard to motivate yourself to do that. But I started to really, really like the long tempos, just 10, 12, 14 mile tempo sections, you know, of a long run, I just put on a podcast, put on some music and like zone out. And I, I think that made the biggest difference for sure for my training this time was actually making myself do those really long, hard, sustained efforts at marathon or sub marathon pace. That's, that's awesome. How long did you take off between Boston and getting ready to, you know, for this next training block? Um, I have this like competition with myself where I try to run every day. <laughs> so I, or at least do something every day. So, I mean, after Boston, I was incapacitated basically through my quads. Uh, so I just couldn't run for several days. Um, but after like a week and a half of doing the stair climber, <laughs> and stair climber. I thought, you know, I'm going to be ready next time. Um, I made myself do like 400 flights of stairs every day on that stupid stair climber. <laughs> yeah, it was not enjoyable. But uh, after after about a week and a half of going through the different modalities in the gym that I hate so much, I was able to get my quads to the point where I could actually like shuffle on them. So yeah, I mean, I, I came back relatively quickly. I think I was like on a work conference a couple weeks after where I just ran super slow and didn't care about anything. And then I think probably three weeks after Boston, I did my first workout that I was like bamboozled into by a couple of my new teammates <laughs> at the time. And, um, and I felt really good. And I thought, wow, like something to this maybe. And um, yeah, then I just started kind of putting little workouts into things within about a month after Boston. And I thought, wow, like there's something to this post-marathon fitness, like you really carry over 
and workouts just started feeling really easy like they hadn't before. So I had some, you know, never ending hamstring issues that I've dealt with. But other than that, like my fitness felt really good. So that's why I just figured may as well go for it. That's great. <laughs> so I guess let's, let's really talk about Houston. Cause it's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, you first off that Saturday before the race was pretty not super cold but i mean it was cold and the wind that wind was the wind was brutal yeah the wind was a little uh new mexico-esque it was <laughs> it was i felt like i have had proper you know exposure to those garbage elements of of earth and albuquerque with the like you know forever headwind yeah <laughs> And, and Philly has not been very nice either for the last month. It's just been cold wind and like, icy rain. So I definitely felt like if it was going to be terrible, I could probably handle it. You were, you were ready for that. <laughs> I was ready. I didn't want to because I really wanted to run fast. And I was like, oh, this is obnoxious. Like, of course, <laughs> the one time I come to Houston to run fast, it's like an ice storm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so... Yeah, that, that that day before was kind of crazy, but then the morning of it wasn't too bad. There was some, there was a few little gusts. It wasn't too bad. Were how close to the kind of front of the corral for the starting line were you able to make it to that morning? Uh, luckily, I was able to get an athlete development entry for that race, so I was in the corral, you know, right ahead of the first corral. I was just behind the elites, and then you know we had like our own section, so. It was, it was really nice because we had like, I didn't have to stress too much about trying to squeeze my way through like I usually do. Yeah. <laughs> so now it was a really nice start actually. And um, I mean, it was cold. I did not bring any throwaway clothes, which was a mistake. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I was standing out there in a crop top and some shorts <laughs> freezing in the, like 28 degree weather or whatever it was. But, you know, I think when you got the adrenaline and everything and everybody's moving around, it's, you just let it happen <laughs> yeah i was uh i had luckily gotten a tip because i had never been in a big race like that so i'd never really been in in like a big corral and so someone had told me because i did the half and someone had told me the um like yeah take some clothes to just toss on the side they donate them they get rid of them like oh okay and yeah. i wasn't really like like how how cold is Houston going to be? Like it's that's, not... that was my thing. I just didn't <laughs> think it was going to be that cold. <laughs> I just happened to look up the weather like the week of and ran out to Target and grabbed a couple of cheap sweatpants and sweatshirt and should have got gloves. Luckily, I found some at the expo the day before. <laughs> Those were great. But yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was um, it was a little chilly to start. <laughs> It was. I mean, I, I checked the weather, so I did, you know, have the at least forward thinking to bring arm warmers and gloves and a headband, thankfully. Um, but yeah, it was just the the lack of warm-ups before the race, the lack of like a shirt or anything going into the start line was not. Uh, that was a rookie mistake, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> How did you feel, you know, when that gun went off? Like you said, you're, you know, obviously you were going after that 
that Olympic trial qualifier time, like you've been putting said where you were doing some good workouts, like as soon as that gun went off, were you like, okay, it's time to go? Or were you just trying to lock in on those paces? It was really hard because I didn't realize that we were starting with the half marathon runners. And so (laughs) there were like elite half marathon runners going out. And I was like, I don't really know what pace. Cause you know, your watch is like all over the place for the first mile and there's the building. So you really have no idea what pace you're running. Um, So I just thought, you know, let people pass you and I've run that pace a bunch of times. I should have a general idea of it and, it is hard to let people go, but I think I was pretty good the first mile of just like finding a comfortable pace. And luckily, somehow we had like this group of several women who were all excited and, and found each other and were like, you going for 237? Great, I'm going for 237. And so we had like a nice group of people that were talking to each other and trying to figure out, you know, the right group to be in. And that definitely helped kind of settle the nerves for the first mile. <laughs> that's, that's great. I'm glad you were able to, to find a, a group because I wasn't sure how that would look like, you know, and yeah, there's always people who are all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the women are pretty good about, you know, settling into a rhythm. The men, not as much. I got to say, there were some men like really overreaching in that, <laughs> that first section. They're like, oh, you know, I want to run like 245. And I was like, then you probably shouldn't be running like 550 base right now. Yeah. <laughs> this is going <laughs> to hurt later. And uh, yeah, I mean, you really get a mix of people that don't really know what pace they're running in that first couple miles. But, but the women were pretty smart about it because they all had a goal. Um, and it definitely wasn't as big of a group as it was, you know, like CIM a couple of years ago when everyone was trying to run 245, the, the group was smaller, but it was, it was definitely enough women to have like a nice pack to run in. So I wasn't alone for at least the first half of the race. That's, and that's great. And then around that half, well, not half, it's before, I think it was smile eight, I believe the half marathon and the marathoners, you know, kind of split off. Was there a big, like, did the did the pack around you kind of lessen when that split off happened? Yeah, it definitely went through waves of kind of separating to, you know, like three at a time. You know, I kept trying to move up and be a little more aggressive because I was afraid I would get kind of stuck in this slump of running like just over six minute pace. And I really didn't want to do that. I thought I need to be around 558s. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up going maybe a little faster than I wanted to in some places, which separated me from several people. But I think by the half point, uh, I I was really wishing I ran the half so I could break off. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, at that point, I remember I was with this one other girl uh, who was super eager and she was like chatting it up the whole time. So that <laughs> was nice. And uh, another guy and, and we just kind of broke off at that point as like a little pack of three and moved up through to a couple other people just ahead of us. So yeah, I think most of, you know, through the middle of the race, there was a pack of usually like three to five of us at a time. That's good. I, that's, it's so hard. I mean, like you said, I mean, you've been practicing on your own, you've been doing a lot of this stuff on your own, but once you're in a race and doing it on your own, it's kind of, 
it's a little rough. <laughs> it is. And it was, you know, still like a cold wind when it hit you in Houston. And I was trying to run behind people. I always try to find a guy to run behind and yeah. let him block the wind. But they were just like not good at it this race. And the men were like running all over the place, you know, instead of just like <laughs> taking a straight line. Um and really letting me down. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a lot of times I just had to suck it up and say, you know what, it's just like running by yourself. Just like go out in front and, and let it happen and let that cold wind hit you. <laughs> um, and it wasn't bad. I mean, it definitely wasn't as bad as it was the day before by any means. So right. I felt like it, I didn't feel like I was, you know, putting myself in a bad position by running out by myself. The uh, They were giving the splits at every 5k how much were you kind of looking at that looking at your own watch and, and trying to you know stick on those paces yeah i was definitely i knew i was a few seconds behind the race clock on the course because my um you know my start was just a little bit behind but uh my watch was clicking off you know about 10 to 20 meters before the clock each time so i think everybody had that uh, going on. Yeah. And so I, you know, I was trying to watch the race clock and, instead of my watch. And I knew that I was building a decent buffer. So, you know, each mile I was adding early on, you know, a couple seconds. And I knew for the bulk of the race that I had about a 30 second buffer. And I thought if I could just, you know, get that buffer to between 30 seconds and a minute that I was like right where I wanted to be. You talked about CNM really hitting that wall at mile 20. You talked about <laughs> Boston, your quads being shredded by mile six. <laughs> yeah. When did you feel safe in this? Did you ever feel safe, like, coming? <laughs> I don't think I'd say safe. Um, <laughs> yeah, I because you really don't know. I did try to play it safe towards the end. I, you don't really know what might happen. And, you know, your body can just like, start to seize up. And so I was, I, there were a lot of points in the race, I would say after about like 13 miles, 14 miles, I, I had a couple of people just ahead of me that were starting to break away. And I thought, I either have to make the decision to slow down and run with people behind me or run faster than I want to, to stay with the people in front of me. And I chose to run faster than I wanted to just so that I could have a couple of people to pull me along. And, and once I kind of got into that rhythm, I felt pretty like, okay. I wasn't feeling worse. Um, halfway, I, I kind of went into a slump and then a couple of miles later, I kind of pulled myself out of it by picking up the pace a bit. And I thought, you know, don't get ahead of yourself because 18 miles could turn, 20 miles could turn. And I think I started to, but then I guess the half marathoners didn't go through it. But with like five or six miles to go, we went through these really big tunnels and they had like speakers playing this music and everything. It was just so like otherworldly. I just, you know... <laughs> You could, he yeah, I, I was at that point by myself completely. Um, there was nobody around me for quite a bit. And it was just like very, I don't know, inspiring for some reason, going through those tunnels and hearing the music. And it really gave me like an extra boost. And at that point, I thought, you know, I can definitely, I'm not anywhere near as bad 
as I was at Boston and not anywhere near as bad as I was at CIM. So I thought I could definitely hang on at that point. So yeah, I think with 20 or with, you know, with five, six to go, I felt pretty confident, but I wasn't gonna try to test the waters. So I just tried to like stay at my pace and keep clicking off. And then with two to go, I started feeling the hamstrings, you know, catch up and I was worried that they would cramp up. So I, I slowed it just a little bit to like not, I knew I had a buffer. So I was like, no point in trying to overreach and have yourself cramp up and then fall or something. And uh, yeah, so going through those little downhill, uphill underpasses and stuff like that, I was just trying to be very cautious. <laughs> <laughs> I did see I had seen a an article leading up about those those tunnels that were going to be a part of the full marathon. And I was I was like, oh, man, those do look cool. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, they really it was really nice the way they had the speakers set up in there because it's really loud and it just definitely gave you that extra little boost at the right time. <laughs> and how did you feel? you know, about the crowd, you know, all the way through the split off for the half marathon marathon, there was a pretty good amount of people, you know, throughout, obviously, I don't know what it was, you know, once we split off. Um, and then uh, for the half marathon coming back around mile 10, it was a little bit more sporadic until you got to that last couple of miles on the Allen, um, Allen Parkway, I think it was called. Uh, where there was just people all over the place, which is which was great. So how was it for the, the marathon? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was like sparse in some places, but I think people were peppered throughout pretty well. So, it, you know, there weren't really major sections where there weren't people. And the nice thing, they had those little speakers like attached to trees and, you know, <laughs> kind of just all the way for the rest of the race. So there was some kind of music or something for the majority of the last probably like eight miles or so. Um, at least that's how I remember it. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you came through those underpasses and stuff, the last mile you had a pretty decent group because you started to reunite with the half marathon and everything, which definitely helped because the half marathon people cheering for you really pulled you through <laughs> that last section. That's, that's great. And, uh, you know, obviously, you came through, you were almost 45 seconds, not 45, 35 seconds under the qualifying time. Did it hit you right away? Did it, did you need some time to process as it hits you that you are an Olympic trials qualifier? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it still feels really weird because it was like so far from my PR. I When I, I had like a half mile left, and I thought that I for sure should get it. I knew I had a window, but I started to like dry heave because I had way too much gel and I thought I was going <laughs> to vomit. I ultimately did at the finish line quite a lot. Um, so, I mean, I just, all I could think was through that last half mile was like, I just have to get it because I really don't want to go through this again anytime soon. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was such a relief when I heard the announcer say my name on the finish line saying, you know, you've qualified for the Olympic trials. I thought, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I just really 
wanted it to be over at that point. And there was another girl just in front of me who, you know, was vomiting a little bit at the finish line. And she was like, we did it. And that was just such a great feeling. I It did take me quite a while to realize like, oh my God, I actually did run under 237. Like that was a little bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> well, and it was, I mean, you, you post, you put that in your Strava, like that whole last mile thinking I better get it because I'm not doing this again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is just such, it, it's crazy because so much of the race is fun. Like it does feel really just different from anything else because you're not straining you're like pretty comfortable and you're racing and feeling a good pace but then those last couple of miles where your body really just starts to shut down and you feel like you're gonna vomit and your body is cramping up i'm like i really don't want to do that again (laughs) i don't want to i don't want to experience it for quite a while and i thought if i miss it by just a little bit i don't know if i'm going to be willing to jump back in and do it again (laughs) (laughs) So what's uh so what's next? I have no idea. Just a lot of slow miles probably at this point. <laughs> it's really nice to not have to think about anything. I don't know. I really like just like running easy and not thinking about racing. Because um, I have done quite a few races, you know, in the last six months now, more than I usually do anyway. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I want to race because I feel like now I I have like higher goals uh for the half marathon and 10k and stuff like that i'd like to go after so a couple of my teammates here are talking about maybe a spring 10 miler half marathon i might go after maybe i'll do some trail races in the northeast i don't know i don't really have any goals at this point (laughs) just trying not to get hurt again (laughs) and that's that's great i mean you've got two years till the trials and which will be amazing. And so it's an awesome goal that you hit. And it's, it's, I think it's amazing to just take that time and enjoy that and just have fun with running. Yeah. I'm really glad I hit it early on because it, you know, you don't have to think about it anymore. You can just, I mean, unless they change it, I guess it's certainly <laughs> possible that they could be like, no, just kidding. Uh, it's <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> um, I'm kind of prepared for that to happen, but I, <laughs> Yeah, at this point, I just want to sit back and like not have anything to think about. It's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great, and I think that's a great place to wrap up. Um, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. I just have one last question that I ask everybody on that I have on, and that's what are you listening to? to get you going, get you ready for an early morning in the middle of the dark and cold (laughs) run? I'm a nerd, so I listen to This Week in Virology um, a lot of the time. You know, really gets you in the pandemic mood. But no, I I usually listen to science podcasts. Um, They're pretty long, and they really get me through those long runs of you know two hours or whatever of just and I feel like I'm learning something so I feel like I'm like working while I'm running and I don't feel quite as bad about spending that much time running um you know (laughs) but but 
Yeah, I I've really probably listened to several hundred hours of virology podcasts <laughs> over the last couple of years. So wow. as a neuroscientist, I have actually got quite a good background in virology now, That's uh, great. <laughs> which is fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, the podcast, I, I try to like vary it up. You know, I listen to a bunch of different stuff, um, but they really pull you through. I got to say that. I really enjoy running now just because it's like having a conversation with other people. You get to listen to people just chatting and, and stuff. And it doesn't feel quite as lonely. <laughs> I, I am the same way. Like, I, I mean, I enjoy running with music and I definitely still put it on, but it's something about hearing someone else's voice while you're running, especially when you're on your own, like it's um even tempo or speed work, like it's just, I don't know, it just takes your mind to a different spot. It's, I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I mean, when you're just always running by yourself, it really is nice to hear someone else talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, there was one last thing that I, that I thought was interesting. Um, uh, Cause I, I've, <laughs> I know what you go through, but you had posted about you, I think it must have been for Boston. Maybe it was another race, but you were wearing glasses and just okay. talking about the, the fog up. <laughs> it's a struggle I never appreciated before. And I always, I didn't used to wear glasses when I ran, when I ran because I just embraced being blind. Um, <laughs> and I thought like, I'm not going to try to correct my vision. Maybe it'll correct itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I went through a period where I was having just these horrible headaches and I would like completely lose my vision when I would run. And I started wearing glasses and I felt so much more confident running because I could see the turns and I could see <laughs> people and it was just, I didn't get as bad of headaches. It was like totally life-changing. But at the same time, it's incredibly annoying because especially if the temperature is really cold out, they fog up. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like breathing hot air into your glasses. Yeah. You covered in rain. It's yeah. I refuse to get contacts though. I have not I, brought myself there yet. I I am with you. I it's poking something into my eye. No, I just. They're expensive. Breathe. You've got to put stuff in your eyes. Everyone who wears contacts always has pink eye half the time. <laughs> <laughs> They always are like contacts are so great, and I'm like, well, your eyes are always bleeding, so I don't really <laughs> agree with that. But uh, all right, I and I, I know I said that was the last thing, but I do have one more because I, I just <laughs> it came to me. I was just thinking about the race and all of that, and you said you can see people, and I just started thinking about like the the signs that were out there. there oh, they're some, great. There was some great signs. Uh, there was some that made me laugh. I think my personal favorite was down the final, you know, down into into the final, the finish line and everything. Uh, there was a guy in a robe holding two signs up, said, the end is near, repent your shins. <laughs> and that was amazing. <laughs> I almost cracked up. I'm like, no, I got to finish this. What was your favorite? <laughs> Oh, gosh. I love the signs out there. Boston had a lot of really good ones, too. I really like the ones when, like, little kids are holding them and they have, like, the, um, the like, Mario, whatever, yeah. you know, like the, the video game, like, press here to power up. I love those. And so I try to hit those because I really feel like it gives me an extra boost. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't remember. I know that I saw some that were like really funny and I laughed in the moment, but I just yeah. can't remember anything at this point. But I, I got to say, those really do make the race. It, it's so helpful. And like I said, like I said, there were so many and I wish I could remember more too, but it's just like, it's a, it's a blur. And I think I only remember that one because it's like, it was right at the end. So it's like the last thing I really saw before the finish line. I think there was a guy in, maybe it was a dinosaur. I think it was a chicken suit <laughs> dancing with like maybe eight miles to go. And that one pulled <laughs> me through because I was kind of in a dark place at that moment. <laughs> oh, that is that's awesome well thank you again congratulations again i can't wait you know for what else you've got and for you to just enjoy this time and uh is there anything else you'd like to add before i let you go i don't think so i uh yeah i really hope i make it back to albuquerque that's certainly where i'd like to end up new mexico's the best don't tell anybody because we don't want to overcrowd it but it's the best place to run for sure I'd once again like to thank my guest for their time, and thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at runningnewmexico.com at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.